0: Learn more at marines.com. Hello and welcome back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me as always is the beat writer for Pitt Athletics over at DK Pittsburgh Sports, Corey Cresson. How you doing, brother?
1: Gary, I'm doing okay. Just uh, took in the Steelers game. Obviously, Kenny Pickett getting in, which is great for him, great for the potential uh, health of this franchise going forward in 2022. And obviously, the Steelers not coming away with the win against the Jets, but this could be the start of a new era. So pretty excited to see that. However, on uh, Saturday, we were treated to and I use that word lightly, treated to quite a clunker from Pitt against Georgia Tech in a 26 21 upset. Pitt, a 22 point favorite. And uh, we have a lot to talk about with this for sure. And then in the final segment, we'll talk about some pretty substantial breaking news with the uh, Pitt men's basketball program as well.
0: Yes, both will be unfortunate today. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what we can get. Yeah. You know, to pluck positive out of this, but I gotta be honest, man. Let's start with the foot the football game. There wasn't a lot of positive to pluck from it, really, until the fourth quarter, and I'm not even a hundred percent sure what to take from that. You know, um it, it was it was a pretty brutal game. I, I'd love to be able to say it was about Izzy Abanacanda getting hurt, but nah. There was bigger problems than that. Besides Keaton Slov is continuing to hold on to the ball too long. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think the line gave him enough time, Corey. And yeah. receiver's not getting open.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I don't know where to go from here with the offense.
1: It just Let's just start with that. It seems like Keaton just isn't seeing the field. The way that we're used to seeing Keaton Slovis is see the field from his time at USC. From the way that plays are able to develop from obviously you mentioned it there with the wide receivers. Gary, it doesn't look like that timing and that chemistry and that oomph is there within the wide receivers room either. And we talked to Tyquan Underwood this week about all of that developing and opportunities coming and seizing those moments. Here's the big thing that stood out to me about Pitt's passing game. There was a lot from it. Here's a small example of it. Keaton Slovis did not complete a pass to a wide receiver until there were less than two minutes and 30 seconds to play in the first half. So you have how many game minutes of action where nothing is coming, no production from the wide receivers, no Mumfield, no Jared Wayne, who's usually reliable, no Bub Means. I think his number was only called twice in this game. And obviously, Jaden Bradley gets the two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, which by that point, I mean, the air was already sucked out of the stadium. I mean, you saw crossed arms on the pit sideline. It just absolutely it really didn't matter. I mean, did it it really matter if Jaden Bradley catches two touchdowns? The box score doesn't look bad for Slovis. 26 of 45, three touchdowns, one interception, 305 yards. But this is not a, a stat sheet game. This is an eye test game, and the fact of the matter is Pitt failed just about, at least on offense, Pitt failed just about every component of the eye test. The run game wasn't there. I know Izzy Abandekanda getting hurt has a little bit to do with that, but even then, when he was in the game, 10 carries, 31 yards, 3.1 per carry, he was still ineffective. And of course, play calling has to do with it.
0: Let's finish up talking about the wide receivers because I think it might take up the rest of this intro, um, <laughs> honestly.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm not real big on pretending to be a guy that can look at the all-22 stuff and and pick apart everything I see. So I'm not going to pretend to be the expert here. But we talked about Bub, Mo- Bub Means not getting his number called. I don't know that I saw many opportunities where his number would have been called. He was not open Mm -hmm. and that is not a good secondary. They were playing. There's no way that this brand new coach coached them up that much in four or five days Mm -hmm. (laughs) that, that suddenly they were glue on every wide receiver. He's just not getting separation.
1: You're right. You mentioned Brent key, by the way, interim head coach takes over for Jeff Collins, who was fired on Monday for some reason I keep going back to what Shane Simon told us earlier in the week and Shane Simon obviously Notre Dame transfer he experienced at the end of last season Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame's program to go coach LSU Marcus Freeman takes over before the bowl game the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State and I asked Shane I said look you've been through this what is that like having a head coach leave he's got some pedigree to Brian Kelly too and he was like yeah, like it was crazy, etc. And then he's what he said that stuck out to me was we all kind of galvanized around Coach Freeman. So right. is this the case of the classic addition by subtraction for Georgia Tech, where Jeff Collins didn't have the locker room or he didn't really have it together? Now he's gone and the players have a little more extra passion and they're playing with a little more extra grit for Brent Key. There's a quotient to that, but it's obviously not the reason why Georgia Tech won to the pit wide receiver. Certainly. I,
0: I agree with you. I'm just, yeah. I guess the only reason I even brought it up is because it's not like they got out game planned here. Mm-mm. They just got out physical on the line and they absolutely did not get open. I'll be honest too. On top of that, Keaton Slovis does not display the ability to throw people
1: open. I'll be honest too. I think Pitt got out coached here. Yeah, I think Pat Narduzzi got outcoached in some ways. The game planning, you could talk about Frank Signetti and, and what Pitt was able to do early on. Three drives, five yards, three three and outs. No pop, no sizzle, no fire, no fun, no pizzazz with this offense that... You bring in playmakers like Kanate Mumfield and Bub Means from the portal. You have a really electrifying tight end and Gavin Bartholomew coming back. You have a steady hand of Jared Wayne, and nothing was able to develop. The pass protection was better than it has been. I'll give you that. Yeah. I think it was. And this, by the way, despite starting a, a four offensive linemen, either reserves or out of place. The only consistent rock-solid starter that was in there was Marcus Miner at left guard. So, even with the revolving door at offensive line, they still did better in terms of pass protection, but there's still the decision-making by Slovis and surveying the field and the receivers getting open and all of these things that added up to three and a half quarters of a really inept passing game. And they really didn't take Absolutely. many shots down the field again, by the way. The the throw to Bartholomew was textbook was textbook, the touchdown to him. He sat in a soft spot in coverage. He got his hands on the ball. He had space to make a play, and he did and got into the end zone. Where was that the rest of the game?
0: Exactly, because first of all, they don't send him out very often. And when he does, he's just not being seen. I think the receiving core was one thing, Corey... We need to take a quick break. and When we come back, I think we need to talk about the running game because we touched on something there with the offensive line. I think we need to expand on that and kind of take it a little forward into the running back room too. Welcome back to a suddenly glum H2P podcast today. It's not been a positive week to be a, a, a Pitt Panther fan. So let's let's talk about the running back room and the running game situation a little bit. Because the, you know, Pat Narduzzi wasn't shy about it, Corey. This is going to be a running team. It's what they want to do. Izzy Abanakanda gets hurt early, but like you had already mentioned, ineffective even when he was healthy. Vincent Davis did better, but this offensive line being stitched together game in and game out, sometimes multiple times during a game that affects the running game more than the passing game, because there's a different kind of block, right?
1: It's different in terms of where you need to be in terms of assignment, pass blocking. There's obviously assignments on who you're blocking and adjusting to the blitz and adjusting to the rushers that are coming in with the run blocking there's that plus the concept of where the running back is and having the awareness and having the feel of how the play is developing I just watched the end of the Browns game today and here's a perfect example of that in the screen game and the screen can kind of be compared to the running game on the Browns' final drive, and I live in Youngstown, in the Youngstown, Ohio area, so I, get, I have the luxury of getting both the Browns and the Steelers on Sundays. So the Browns lined up a screen for Kareem Hunt on their final drive of the game, which they completely blew and it looked clueless. And Joel Batonio, all pro tackle, one of the best in the league, or all pro guard, excuse me, one of the best in the league, is called for an illegal man downfield penalty. <laughs> that stems from timing. If your offensive lineman is five yards down the field making a block, he's probably in the right position, but the rest of the play is behind him. Right. And that's why he gets called for a penalty. I use this parallel to say it's about developing the hole and developing the, the space for a Banikanda and Davis and Flemister to run through. It wasn't really there. And again, Pitt rushes for, let's see, 3.4 yards per carry if you factor in, you know, Slovis' is sacks and everything. So, Canada 3.1, Davis 5.3, Flemister 2. So, it's in the realm of about 3.5, right? Right. Right about on that mark to 4. So, Davis 5.3 per carry. But the problem I have with it, Gary, is the situations in which the runs were actually called. And again, early in the game, that first drive, I'll go to the first drive of the game where you want to set the tone. You get the ball back from, from Georgia tech. You want to set the tone on offense. You have is Izzy abandoned Canada going for three straight hundred yard games. And he doesn't touch the ball in the first drive. <laughs> so and, and by the way, it rained all afternoon in Pittsburgh. It was raining during the start of the game in Pittsburgh. It rained for two and a half to three quarters of the game in Pittsburgh. This had a, like very obvious run the football today feel.
0: Even Rock Running was wearing steak. a poncho for God's sake. It was raining. I
1: know. It. I know. So the fact that Pitt, in Georgia Tech's pass defense isn't bad, but the run defense is not as good as their pass defense. There was every reason. 31 carries as a team, and that includes three by Slovis on Saxon, etc. So, Really, let's call it 15 plus 10 is 25, 2 is 27, 28 carries for Pitt running backs. Why are, we, why are we messing around with this? Go to the strength of your team. They went away from the complete strength. I mentioned in my story from the game, a lack of identity. What was Pitt trying to do? I still don't have that answer. And quite frankly, we got the old, we got to go back to the tape from both Pat Narduzzi and Keaton Slovis <laughs> after the game. Right, You drink every time you hear Pat Narduzzi say, we got to watch the film, we got to watch the tape, or a variation of. So on Monday, when we, the media contingency, asked Pat Narduzzi, what did you see from the tape? Who knows what he's going to say? So with the run game, I'm kind of dancing around it to say this. It was very evident that Pitt wanted to throw the ball more than they have in previous weeks. And they thought that, yes, there's Izzy Abanekanda who's hot. There's going to be opportunities for him. But in the game plan, they saw it as let's get Keaton going, or at least try to, and it, the execution wasn't there.
0: Right. I so, mean, you remember that was one of the fears I had if they would not let him play last week, you know? So I'm glad they, they got him in, but they didn't really test it very much. I mean, they, they ran the ball against an inferior team and just ate them alive. So they didn't really work the kinks out in that situation, which, which is, you know, going back to being outcoached, you don't have to be outcoached just in that game. You could be outcoached okay. by the run-up to that game and failing yeah. to take opportunities that you could learn from. Against inferior yep. opponents. That may very well be what we saw here because Corey, the second point with the running back room, we're not seeing that depth that we that we were so excited about early on. We're seeing a little bit of SIBO Flemisher A little bit. We're seeing Vincent Davis in healthy doses when necessary and Izzy Banacanda. That's it.
1: Mm-hmm. No Daniel Carter, and obviously the Rodney Hammond injury. We didn't know the severity of it when it happened week one. Last week, he was on the sideline, no walking boot. This week, he was on the sideline, no walking boot. Where is he with the recovery process? This is one of the players that it's coming to a case of you don't want to rush him back because he's so young and has a lot of potential ahead of him and has potential for two more years down the road to be RB1 or a, a solid RB2 next to Izzy. But it's very evident and clear that in this game, they missed a presence of Rodney Hammond. And that's not to disrespect Vincent Davis, but when Vincent Davis puts the ball on the ground once, and then you put him back in and then he puts the ball on the ground twice. Right, right. What do you, what do, you do? That depth that depth all of a sudden comes into play. So when Izzy's out, Rodney's out, Vincent Davis puts the ball on the ground twice. Sebo Flemister, two carries for four yards. Absolutely. And one of those ru- and one of those runs went for three and no Daniel Carter. So something needs to change in that running back room. So long as Rodney Hammond's out and now we got to see what's going on with Izzy, the broadcast, and you could paint a picture on this. I was told the broadcast on ACC network showed Izzy on the sideline with a sling on his right arm. Yeah, it did. Okay. Which is what we saw from Gavin Bartholomew last week and he played. So sure. The way Pitt runs their ship, we say this every week. They're never going to tell us the severity. They're never going to tell, unless it's out for the season. They're never going to tell us how long he's out for. They're never going to tell us if he's back this week, next week, five weeks from now. You just won't hear it. So now a room, and by the way, I said this with the offensive line too a room that we felt good about in the preseason as a rock solid unit, question marks everywhere. The offensive line. A unit we felt rock solid about in the preseason. Yeah. Question marks in a lot of places.
0: Yeah. I mean, you start talking about goals here pretty soon. You know, you start losing in the ACC schedule on the games that you really shouldn't have a, a problem with. I mean, Newsflash, they got another one coming here. Virginia Tech next week. Virginia Tech is as close to a cupcake as you're going to get in the ACC right now. And, you know, you just lost to the other one. So yep. it, there, there's really nowhere to go but up from here, and they can still do something in the ACC. But, man, that's a, that's a painful, bitter loss. Real tough pill to swallow for that room, I'm sure. And eventually, get guys healthy can't be your only solution. You Got to do something else.
1: I, I just looked up the opening odds for Pitt Virginia Tech. And according to sportsbettingdime.com, for entertainment purposes only, Pitt <laughs> opened as a 13 and a half point favorite against Virginia Tech. It's at home. It's a team that is clearly on paper better than Virginia Tech. So you have to give them that. But after blowing a, tw- a game where you were favored by 22 this week, the odds makers are going to come back a little bit. So, right. You know, we'll see what, what develops throughout the week. But a lot. To be desired from the pit offense, the pit defense. There's some question marks on that too. Let's not give them a pass here, right? You know, they tackling do, was poor. The containment long pass of plays Jeff Sims was poor. Mm-hmm. EJ Jenkins mossing Marquez Williams, right? There's that again. Size advantage does matter. Right? EJ Jenkins, I believe, is listed at six seven, but you know, containment on Jeff Sims wasn't really there. the The run that Hassan Hall had in the fourth quarter where he pinballed off of two tacklers including Brandon Hill Kyle was thrown in
0: right can't happen exactly yeah. so I mean enough on that we're gonna turn the page I'm also not going to give you a bright shiny spot to look to- look towards either I mean it's uh it's gonna be a rough road they really can't afford to lose anymore if if they want a shot at some kind of significant title this year so
1: and of course they got to hope for uh, the the silver lining of everything is in the big picture sense is that the coastal's not strong, right? Or the uh, ex- yeah, the coastal's not as strong as of the size of the Atlantic Division is. So you win if you win at North Carolina. You win at Miami. If you if this is the only lump they take this year, there's still a shot, but they need a little help now to get back to that conference championship.
0: Yeah, something's got to give though, and and it's really going to have to be. If you if you really want to just get down to brass tacks, Keaton Slovis has to look like the the guy we hoped he would be. You know, if not, I'm sorry, I just don't see an oasis coming, and that Syracuse game looms large. So
1: um, rank Syracuse now.
0: Yeah, rank Syracuse. So let's uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and take another break. Come back. Let's spend about ten minutes talking uh, hoops and. Hopefully that won't be quite as dark. Back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Corey and Gary with you, and we promised some pit hoops. And Corey, you're the newsbreaker here, so I'm going to let you go ahead and break your news.
1: Yeah, a source informed me on Sunday morning that John Hughley, Pitt's leading scorer, their leading rebounder on the men's basketball side, uh, sprained his knee in Friday's practice and is expected to miss a few weeks of action, of practice and preseason, whatnot. So, number one, I was not told the severity of it, but based on the context of is expected to miss a few weeks, that could either dictate the severity, or that could mean they're going to be super-duper cautious about Hughley's workload, and how much he's on the floor, and how much he works out through the preseason, and obviously with two exhibitions before the season opener against Tennessee Martin on November 7th. So this is a setback for the Pitt basketball program. I'm not trying to make light of this. It's a setback in terms of developing rapport with the transfers. We talked about the transfers last week that came in, the three that Pitt brought in about developing chemistry on the front court with the, with the twins, with the uh, Diaz Graham twins, with Fede Federico. It, 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 it puts a roadblock in front of all of that. Now the silver lining part two is that it doesn't sound like it's an ACL. It doesn't sound like it's a severe, you know, whatever grade it is, strain of the knee or sprain of the knee. So it doesn't sound serious. and, the way that Pitt basketball usually runs is they'll tell, you know, with, Will, with Will Jeffries, when we learned about his foot injury, you know, we heard about it from the program and from Jeff Capel. So if my sources are correct, which I, I trust, then we should hear from Pitt pretty soon about an official, Hey, John Hughley sprained his knee, etc. cetera. Um, if not, then maybe this is something they want to keep quiet, but I trust the source on it. So, you know, that's, that's reporting life for you so yeah and they and basketball doesn't really
0: that pit basketball really doesn't start with with cupcakes this isn't like it like uh any other year where everybody they play is is like a division two school for half a month you know to build up their record they they start out with tn martin but then they go right into west virginia michigan you know asu they got some some tough some tougher contests there at the very beginning so You'd like to have that rapport build up before the season gets rolling, like you were saying, but it sounds like there's a chance he could at least get a week or so in before the season starts. If everything checks out.
1: The way it sounds is if it's quote unquote, a few weeks, the season opener is four weeks and five days from this moment that we're sitting and recording. So the way that I would play this, if I'm Jeff Capel and I'm not, is that I would hold him out for the two scrimmages against Clary and Nenborough. And if he's ready to go for Tennessee Martin, you test it there. I would expect on a safe end to see him for November 11th against West Virginia. Just on a safer end. If this, if this injury is, is what we're hearing it is. Obviously with, with the legends classic, they have two games. They get open with Michigan and Brooklyn on November 16th. So we're talking about about six weeks away. Right. If they played on the safe side, maybe they hold them out for Brooklyn. Keeping with basketball, it's a little bit different with football, obviously because of a lengthier non-conference. And in my past experience, coming college basketball, a player like Hughley, who obviously, again, leading scorer, leading rebounder going to be the focal point of this team. Again, you're going to try to hold them out until absolutely necessary. Now, the ACC Big Ten Challenge is on November 28th, Thanksgiving week. And then the first ACC game is December 2. I don't think he's going to be out that long. But point is, if Pitt really wanted to be careful, they're not going to rush Hughley back in any way, shape, or form. And the, I would say, latest you would see him, and I don't think this will happen, is December 2 against North Carolina State for the first ACC game. Now, I think we see him much sooner than that. It could be in that Barclays game against Michigan on November 16th. It could be the Backyard Brawl on November 11th. They might even have him ready for the season opener against Tennessee Martin to kind of, like you said, Gary, and, and like we're talking about, build that chemistry with the Twins and with Fede and with the new transfers and Dior and try to keep that developing. And we'll get they'll get Will Jeffries back, Capel told us before, you know, the exhibitions. So it's a, it's a setback from the standpoint of all of that. And obviously with a guy like John Hughley, who's as as good as he is, you know, in a college basketball world, that's just not what you want to see. So, you know, obviously you hope he's okay. And it's not that serious of an injury like we're hearing about.
0: Absolutely. So, Hey, we got about five minutes left, Corey. I think we should probably talk about the women's basketball team a little bit, too. They're starting up uh, on the same day, November 7th, against Coppin State. Um, how's that team looking this year? Any any uh, notes that you have on that?
1: Um, here's what I'm hoping to see with Pitt women's basketball this year. And look, we're expecting along the lines of the men's program, right? We're expecting to see a little bit of improvement. Eleven and nineteen overall last year, uh, but they finished non-conference ninety-two. So really, the trouble comes from the ACC. And ACC women's hoops is strong. I mean yeah. Louisville, Notre Dame, North Carolina, Duke, Syracuse is going to be on the rise this year with Felicia Leggett Jack taking over that program. It's going to be a tricky year for the Pitt women's basketball program. Now, there's there's. Two big positives here I want to stress. Number one, four starters are returning to this team. Number two, seven of their eight top scorers are returning, including Dejanette Harris, nine point or uh, just under 10 points, 2.9 assists, 2.9 rebounds. She shot a career-high 34% from three-point range last year. So they're bringing back the pieces for this team to make those next steps And I don't want to sound like a broken record when I talk pit hoops for the men's or the women's side, but there's some parallels to draw within the two other than maybe the other than maybe the women's program not grabbing a recruit and a commit to the to the level of a Dior Johnson. You know, this is ultimately going to come back on coaching. This is ultimately going to come back on development and growth. Um, You know, you got Amber Brown coming back. She's she's a you know, what's the phrase? consistent steady um you know always healthy she started 80 games in her career like there's good pieces to build from and obviously five newcomers to this team is going to help you got uh Gabby Hutcherson coming over from Ohio State uh Shanice Lewis coming over from Maryland which is a really damn good program as well um you got three freshmen coming in and there's going to be some additions from there so I like what Pitt women's hoops is doing as well in the same vein that I like what the men's team is doing good looking good on paper, but where do they put it together? And again, I would argue the women's side on the ACC is tougher to compete in than the men's side. I I think, I I think you're right
0: about that. I was going to, I was going to suggest the same. And I also think that women's basketball, at least on the collegiate level right now, is probably where the men's was, you know, good 10 years ago, where it was a little more developmental, like you actually kept your players a little bit longer. I don't see the transfer portal affecting them nearly as much. So it's nice when you can have that many returning starters and all those scorers like that. I think it leads to building something instead of just trying to catch lightning in a bottle every year.
1: Mm -hmm. and look again at the end of the day this is going to fall back on the talents there right Dejanette Harris a senior you know I talked about Amber Brown another senior Lewis a grad transfer coming over from Miami there's strong pieces on this roster and ultimately it's going to come down to Lance White and his staff and, and what they can make out of this in an ACC where again Jeff Walls at Louisville tremendous coach tremendous program what Syracuse is building now with Felicia the Jack, a, a storied alum, probably the best, in fact, the best women's basketball player in that history of that program. Um, what Notre Dame does as a program, what Carolina's building, what Duke's building with uh, Kara Lawson, you know, there are strong programs in this conference to compete against. And you want Pitt to get off, you know, we talked about the non-conference with the men's side. You want the women's side to get off on a right foot with the non-conference and there's there's plenty of opportunity for them to do that as well. So I think this is going to be an improved season from the women's side based on personnel, based on what White has brought in in terms of stacking a depth chart and stacking rotations and stacking, let's call it three bench pieces and four bench pieces that could come in and rotate. Yeah. So
0: they got it's nice, gonna be a good season a nice for shooting the women's back side. they have a nice shooting backcourt too. So mm-hmm. I, I actually like that aspect of the game. They move the ball well. I'm excited mm-hmm. to watch them a little bit this year, too. So we should probably finish with something positive, Corey. Besides, <laughs> like, the women's basketball team coming along, I think um, the other thing we can look forward to is that pit games are going to get earlier. I mean, they're not going to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: man. I always joke about the NFL that they put the bad teams on at one o'clock. Well, that's uh, true. I don't want to make this. I don't want to make the same joke with Pitt. Uh, it's a three thirty kickoff against Virginia Tech. That was predetermined.
0: Yeah, I <laughs> see a lot of TBDs the rest of the way. So I would expect yeah. that, uh, depending on how that next game goes, we'll see some twelve thirties coming up here. So,
1: but I'll tell you this: I would say North Carolina, Syracuse, and Miami have primetime potential. Sure. So, so long as Pitt turns the ship around over these next couple of games against Virginia Tech and off week, and then Louisville. So if Pitt could win these next two, going to North Carolina at, by my math, five and two, then feeling a little bit better about things. But right now we're talking about how do you beat Virginia Tech? This has got to start with Pitt correcting what's wrong, and there's a lot of it right now. So I'm not trying to make it negative, but –
0: Nice long, to nice long wait also, if they if they're not successful to, to stew in it, it if this week. So is, uh, really hope they is. pull it off. Uh, without, I don't have anything else. If you don't, Corey, I think that's that's enough negativity for one week, huh? <laughs> it's
1: tough to avo- it's tough to avoid sometimes. That's the beauty of sports. That's the beauty and the damn thing about sports is you could appreciate and enjoy and thrive through the highs, but you got to find ways to fight through the lows, too. And for Pitt football right now, this is a low. It is, you know, where do they come out on the other end? What happens against Virginia Tech? What's the steps that the offense takes? What happens with health? There's so many questions right now around the Pitt football program, and we've talked about how when things go right, this program can compete with anybody in college football when they go wrong they can lose to anybody in college football but that's the nature of college football gary
0: it is what it is brother and that's that's as, that's as far as you can take it and you just hope it gets better every week and uh, without further ado let's go ahead and say it how to hit